You're going to remember this every day for the rest of your life. If you want to get to a goal, if you want to get to your dream, you've got to focus on all the little steps. You have to put in your time. You have to be patient and you have to enjoy the process. Whatever you're doing now, whatever you want to be great at, whatever you want to be special at, I'm sure you, you may be already be good at it, but to be extraordinary, you have to do extra. I firmly believe that we are all here for a very specific reason, to do something truly extraordinary. But what are you going to do to get there? Welcome to the Magna Method, and I'm lucky enough to sit down today with Mr. Grant Weedens, personal trainer at Anatomy at 1220 in Miami Beach, Florida, strength coach, and former staff sergeant in the U.S. Army. Welcome to the show, Grant. Thank you for having me, Mark. It's, uh, it's my pleasure to be here. So, Grant, um, I, I'm going to learn all about your military background and how you train. You know, you're, you're an impressive-looking guy. You're extremely fit. But let's start off with the beginning. Let's start off uh, with what your life was like you know when you started as a child in high school what were you like as an athlete growing up or were you an athlete yeah i mean I, i've done all sports sorts of sports everything you can think of under the sun except for maybe soccer i've played every sport from age five six out to high school and um so i was pretty active throughout my youth uh, really focused on baseball and football in high school um i had some things got, that kind of derailed me um, as far as my motivations throughout my youth, uh, what in high school. let's hear it. Let's hear it. <laughs> um, what, what you can talk about. I mean, of that, no, it's it's stuff that it's not even that that crazy. I mean, people all over the world and all over the country deal with with parents divorcing and that throwing them off. Uh, you know, when I was 15 years old, my parents got divorced, and and there were certain things that it just made me feel kind of rebellious, and I lost a little bit of focus in school with and with sports, unfortunately. So, um, but I found my way. Um, it took a couple learning lessons uh, from after school, after I left school, going into a community college and learning what I didn't want to do and seeing what my friends were doing and learning more of what I didn't want to do. Uh, I kind of found my way through the military and through um, other methods uh, to where I am now. And you enlisted in the military right out of high school? Um, yes, actually, while I was still in high school, over spring break, um, my senior year, actually over hol the holiday break, my senior year, I enlisted in the Army. I was going to get a haircut one day, and uh, I walked out of there. It was right next to a recruiting station, had a, a buzz cut. So the guys yelled over at me. He's like, he's like, hey, you ever thought of joining the military? I'm like, yeah, I have. And they say, why don't you come on in? And I said, <laughs> okay. And I did, and... From there on out, I was. Uh, they showed me a, like a PowerPoint presentation that was like seven minutes long. I said, where do I sign? And they said, right here. And then they said, you're 17? I said, yep. And I'm like, all right, we're going to go talk to your parents. So we went home, I think the next day or two. And then uh, my parents signed, signed me away. And that was it. My dad was Air Force. And my mom, very, you know, everyone's, my family's very supportive of the military. So they were all for it. Well, firstly, that's uh, most people wouldn't do that uh, nowadays. I, I actually uh, have a great deal of respect for people in the United States military. My um, father, I didn't really know much about him, but I did know that he was in the military. A lot of my uncles were in the military. My brother and I are actually probably two of a few who didn't join the military. So thank you for your service. Oh, we appreciate that, Mark. It's, uh, we're nothing. The military is nothing without the support of, of uh, the rest of the country. Well. It's a big deal to me, so thank you. Um, you know, a lot of people um, don't understand the commitment 
it, it is in the military and at such a young age. Firstly, what made you join the military and what was it like? Why the Army? I think the initial uh, interest was driven by a lot of the, what a lot of little kids kind of look up. They look like the G.I. Joe. They want to be that guy, you know, kicking down doors and, and you know, shooting firefights, things like that. But and then and that was a sort of thing that got me into it from maybe seventh and eighth grade and got me interested initially. And then as I grew through high school and it was something that I, I looked at as a career choice something that I was kind of like an alternative to, well, my grades weren't the greatest by the time I finished high school. So this was an alternative where I could can get some more experience in different things that maybe in the civilian world I wouldn't be able to mm -hmm. um, get some access to certain in training. So that was kind of the route that I chose. And um, as far as which branch I chose, the Army, because like I said, those were the guys that yelled at me as I walked out of the barbershop, and that was the first one I chose. It could have been the Marines, you're saying. It could have been. It could have gone any which way. Well, I mean, you should probably stay away from the uh, home shopping network <laughs> because you're an easy sell. I guess but, so. But um, what did you really uh, – some people really need the commitment. When I went to college, there were some kids that started doing their laundry when they were six years old, and mm -hmm. they were on their own. Their parents were working multiple jobs. I was one of those kids. But nevertheless, I needed way more discipline. And thank God for the head coach of, of my college football team and some of the assistant coaches because they, they were like fathers to me. Did you find that you really needed some discipline? You needed more discipline? I think so. I think that that really helped. Um, I was an only child. I am an only child. And um, I think growing up, my parents were very kind to me. I did, had a very good upbringing. Nothing, I mean, outside of the what I mentioned, nothing was really bad. It was... It was pleasant, um, but as far as dip discipline goes, I think I really gained a lot from going to basic training and having certain uh, ethics and standards really instilled in me throughout the, um, the course of that and then throughout the course of my, my military career. Um, so I think that it definitely had a big impact on, uh, on me changing who I was from bef before military until now. Uh, understood. So let's talk about some of those standards and, and some of the things that you learned in the military that you didn't necessarily have a tight grasp on b before you got there. In the United States military, they teach you many things. What were some of the things that instantly you were like, wow, this is totally different from the way I've been living my life? I think being a little bit uh, more strict on the uh, getting away from getting away from the individual and moving towards the team. And despite even being in, in team sports all my uh, throughout my youth, I think looking at it as one team, one fight, um, I'm only as good as the guy or the girl next to me on the battlefield. And because the weakest link, you know, the, the cliche that um, you're only as strong as your weakest link. Mm -hmm. That is very, very true when it comes to a military unit, whether it's a small platoon or something as large as a company or battalion, you're only as strong as your weakest link. So everyone needs to be up on the same level. And if, yeah, if one guy's faster or stronger or bigger, then that person needs to take a step back and, and bring up his buddies next to him to make sure that the team is strong, not just the individual. Right. So it's uh, certainly a me out the window and more we. Mm -hmm. But at what point did you realize, okay, this is like crazy different? Your first day there right off the bus – was there a moment where you're like, man, I got to wrap my head around this because this is real? Well, they, they call it the shark attack. Uh, when you get on the bus from your, the reception uh, of your, your military basic training, which is very administrative, 
and then they move you to where the drill sergeants will receive you. So there's maybe uh, 40 people on a bus, a big bus, and you stop and you see the drill sergeants outside the window and then the doors open and three to five of them walk on the bus and they start barking in your face and they start shuffling you off the, out the door and trying to make you as uncomfortable and uh, just out of your element as possible. And they want to see how you react under pressure and how you can make decisions and, and, uh, and move the, and do what they tell you to do uh, under stress. And, and definitely, I, th I would say there's probably not one person that was going through that that was not under du duress and, and that was in that situation that didn't want to be, but everyone got through it and they were better for it. And that was just the first step of a thousand steps we took throughout training. But, you know, that was the, that was the time that it kind of hit you that this is real. How, how long is training? Uh, basic training, when I was doing it, it was nine weeks. Nine weeks of basic training where it was your kind of, there's no job specific training. It's all really soldierly, um, soldierly duties that you're learning from basic rifle marksmanship to, you know, cleaning up your wall locker and you're getting your bed straight and your boots right. So there was, uh, it was kind of general soldiering type things. And then um, and after that, you'd kind of break off and go to your job specific training. For you, for that another, was? For me, that was, I was construction equipment operator. So that was my option coming from the Chicago area. Uh, I had a limited choice of a, a few things to do, and that's what I chose. Um, based on it was, I based it on the bonus that I got. It was okay. I think at the time it was a ten thousand dollar enlistment bonus for choosing that job, and uh, then I went and did seven more weeks of training related to that, and went back to Chicago to do my uh, to do my reserve duties going forward with a military police unit. Okay. Was there one moment uh, during training that mm -hmm. sticks out in your mind that you'll, you will always remember? A learning lesson, something like you were like, wow, that was, that was powerful, and I'm probably going to take that with me for the rest of my kind, life. Kind of what I was going back to about the, team, the, the me versus the we. Uh, I remember there was one time Drill Sergeant Alexander had us out in a, in a field. It was a big rectangular field uh, with trees around the perimeter. And we, I can't remember the reasoning, but we, we started running around. He made us start doing laps around that circle. And he said, you got to do X amount of laps to complete, you know, and then you're done. And then you come back and we continue with training, whatever the training was for that day. And we would, we all set out as a company and we'd start, people just run. They would just go some, the fastest guy would take off and the slowest would be in the back. And then you'd see the group separate, and then the drill sergeant would start yelling at everybody. He was like, what the, what's wrong with you guys? Mm -hmm. And it's, this is not how we're supposed to be doing things. And, and just yelling and make us do more laps. And we just couldn't get, like, what was the problem? Like, why do we have to keep running? And eventually, after we got tired of running, and the, the, the lead guy got tired of getting way out in front, and the, the, the slow people got tired of being way in back, like, the people in the middle are like, okay, you need to slow the hell down to the people in front and then you need to let those in back catch up and we got to run as a team and no matter how fast you can run we're all going to stay together and we're going to run around in circles until until we don't have to run anymore and that's what it took understood uh, definitely a powerful lesson that mm -hmm. most people don't get to sometimes too later on in life or or too late in life really um were you in top physical condition going in and did you really look at some people, I've heard people say, you know what, it's physically it's not that challenging. It's more mental. 
what was it like for you physically? Was physically it was highly manageable, or was it really challenging? Physically, I was I was very I was still pretty lean and smaller. I was maybe 170 something pounds going in, 180 pounds at the most going into it, and I was pretty pretty strong. I was coming off of uh, a football season shortly before that, so I had decent conditioning. I worked out a little bit. And um, so as far as like the push-ups and just the endurance and the running and all that, it was tough. But I could see that there were so many others that were struggling uh, so much more. Maybe they'd, they're they older. I was 18. There's a lot of people there that were in their mid-20s or 30s. There was even a couple that were just, um, you know, 39, 30, 38, 39 that you can tell had a sedentary job mm-hmm. going into that. And they had done minimal training, if at all, if any. 38, 39. Yeah, because you got to remember this is 2004. Uh, this is right after 9-11. Okay. So the, the, st- the standards as far as what the military was accepting uh, going, you know, to, to get the force built up into uh, to mm-hmm. the wars that we had going on uh, was, wasn't as stringent as it may be now. So. Okay. So you, so you finish your, your, your secondary school? Is that what it's called? Uh, like the, the, the construction school? It, yeah, they call it the... AIT, Advanced Individual Training, where you go off to do your job-specific training, okay. and then after that, you're released to go home. Okay, and then you spent time overseas, correct? Yes, this was, so the 2004 was basic training in AIT, and then three years later, a lot's happened in between, but three years later, I got deployed from that military police unit over to Iraq from, this is, this is November 2007, up until May of 2009, straight through. What was that like? I mean, I can only imagine some of the things that you experienced over there and went through. Can you tell us a little bit about your experience over there? Uh, I mean, it's it's kind of like how basic training went. You kind of you you think about it so much, and it mentally it's it's a lot tougher than it is than it seems um, leading up to it because you're kind of building it up in your head, and then you, they slow the way they introduce um, going to right into a, a danger zone like Iraq or Afghanistan is they kind of slowly introduce you to more and more levels of training and more and more levels of danger and risk so you start you know i was doing my training in fort dix new jersey for we did two months there and then we we flew to kuwait to do another month in kuwait to kind of build up and get used to the desert environment and the the heat and and start doing a little bit more combat specific drills and then you know uh, after that month we went into iraq and, in, and then we moved into um, this specific area where we were to do our most of our tour. Okay. And you spent how many years over there? This was, well, with that, the first unit, the military police unit that I came from Chicago with, we did nine months. Mm-hmm. And then I voluntarily stayed with another unit. I transferred over to a bridging company that, that did exactly that. They built bridges uh, for another eight months. So mm-hmm. Collectively, I was there for about 17 months total and about 20 months, including all the training. Wow. And um, what was what was the biggest takeaway from your experience over there? Um, biggest takeaway, I mean, I mean you're so many lessons learned, but as as far as what I what I've taken with me, um, I mean, I really developed myself as a person in the career that I'm in now. That's where I chose it. When I was overseas, going into my deployment, I was a mechanic working out of an independent shop, busting tires and changing oil for a year and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really kind of develop. You get time to think, you get time to evaluate what's important, what you want to do with yourself for the rest of your life, and um, 
and I had a lot of time to think. There, you know, there's times where it was up, the, the tempo was high and there was uh, a mission going on and you're focused on nothing but that. But then there was also times where you had uh, some time to yourself and time to, to study. We had computer access, which was nice. So I was able to uh, eventually, I was able to apply to Illinois State University and where I got accepted. And, and then after that deployment, I pursued my four-year degree in exercise science. But um, so I kind of, I developed myself personally and professionally there a lot. But uh, other, I mean, regardless of this, my own personal development, there was definitely a lot of growing that went on. I went over there as, I went over there short af shortly after my 21st birthday. Um, so it was, I was a kid and I really didn't know much beyond, you know, what's in, uh, what I learned from high school and what I learned from wrenching on cars. Mm -hmm. So I didn't, really didn't have a grasp of the world around me too. So I started to learn more about why things are the way they are and, you know, how international foreign affairs affects things. You know, it's, you don't look at it when you're at home watching CNN or Fox News. It's one thing, but when you experience what's on CNN and Fox News, it's completely more, it changes your perspective on things and you start to view things as more real. And I can I only imagine people that watch the news every day, it doesn't really affect them. They don't really oh, care. But yeah. when you're experiencing it, all of a sudden it really totally matters. Different really matters so uh you serve uh you do your tour overseas you come back you go to illinois state mm -hmm. illinois state university this was uh i started about three months after i returned so i would it was 2009 fall of 2009 through uh 2013 i went there and and uh, did my exercise science i got my four-year degree in exercise science and i loved every minute of it uh, I, I cherished that education so much more than i think I would have if I went to school after high school, if I went to college after high school. If I had gone to college at 18, 19, I, I don't think I would have valued it as much and looked at it the same way and I probably would have thrown away at least a year or two trying to be a you know a party party kid yeah. you know, doing the, what college kids do. Yeah. So uh, I definitely valued it a lot more from the very beginning until I, until I graduated and I got so much more out of it I think because of that. It's amazing what those years of experience do to your thought process and your value system. All of a sudden, mm -hmm. you're in college, you're taking exercise science, and I don't know if I'm accurate, correct me if I'm wrong, but I bet you didn't miss too many classes. I, I don't think I ever missed a class, honestly. <laughs> yeah. I, I literally never missed a class. Yeah. And, and, I, and not that I missed any classes in, in high school either, but I, I had so much more value placed in the, going to the classes, like I'm paying for this school. I'm, I'm going to go to class. This mm -hmm. is why I'm here. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, exercise science, you complete exercise science. Mm -hmm. Then you decide that you want to go into the uh, fitness, wellness field, training field. So what are your next steps? Okay. Throughout, I think this is my junior year of college, I started training, did some personal training at a Gold's Gym in central Illinois. And uh, that's kind of where I started picking up like the, the ins and outs of the industry and, and the business as well as the, the fitness side of things. So I'd, I think I'd worked front desk for about a year at a gym before I, I moved to personal training to so kind of get a feel for the operation standpoint of a gym and then um, learn the ins and outs of the personal training. And then uh, from there, it was um, uh, an internship in my final semester at school that brought me down to South Florida. So. I was. Um, Where did you land in South Florida? I, I landed in this is North Miami Beach, at uh, Bomberito Performance Systems, where I'd done four months of an internship on my last semester. 
And what was that experience like? Because we have that in common. I spent time mm -hmm. working at Bomb Reader Performance, and there's a lot of things I learned there. What was your experience like working at Bomb Reader Performance, and who were you training? Who were you working with? It's probably the most invaluable fitness-related experience um, to date. I can I can say that I've had um, as far as the time spent and the amount of education um, gained. It's invaluable, um, regardless of any monetary what I've received as far as compensation that was irrelevant at the time of course you want to get paid some money and you want to make some money while you're you know being an intern or even shortly after after I got hired um, but looking back there there was so much more value I place in in the uh, the training that um, that I received through training and um, you know from Pete himself and then from the other coaches that were there uh, we're training some of the best athletes in the world coming out of college going into the NFL in the draft prep process, and then also the NFL veterans, uh, Major League Baseball veterans, and then you have miscellaneous track and field uh, Olympians that would come through there. Mm -hmm. So you just never never knew. You could have Miguel Cabrera in one group, and you could have you know Darnell Dockett and, and uh, Colin Kaepernick in another group. It's like yeah. you, know, you never know. And it's, it was a, it was a great experience, and it was you know a little at first you're starstruck yeah. to a certain extent, but you know it definitely just becomes another client, another training session after a while. It, it's pretty wild. Sometimes you have a group up there, a smaller group, and then you have a large group of 15, 20, 25 mm -hmm. people. And it really helps you hone your skills and, and work well. And as you oh, said, you can't really be starstruck. There's no time to be starstruck because you're dealing with people who not only make a lot of money, but, I mean, their legs and their arms are, are their most important pieces of their business and you have to make sure that there are no mistakes made right, right. was that pressure filled it was definitely pressure filled I mean it was a trial by fire um, I thought I'd like to point to one of the learning experiences I had in the first couple of weeks that I was there um, there was two major league baseball uh, relief pitchers I believe there were um, and one of the uh, assistant coaches wanted me to to take them and, and just on their own and run them through it was a pretty simple program but neither of them spoke English and I don't speak Spanish and I definitely don't speak Cuban Spanish so I had I had a basic knowledge of the colors of the cones I can I can recite you know what the colors were in relation to you know how far they should run because we had the cones out in every 10 yards for from 10 to 60 yards I believe it was and then uh, direction, then go left, right, up, down, you know, that kind of thing. The tree, go, right? Go and stop. Yeah. So uh, so as far as uh, training goes, the training itself I, I could take care of, but now it's, now it's time for me to relate that in through body language and in demonstrations to somebody that doesn't understand English, my, my only language, um, that I, I have to teach these people. And this is like three weeks into an internship where I don't even barely know the system itself, and now I'm teaching people that don't speak English. So, that, <laughs> and I definitely wasn't qualified to do that at the time, but I made it happen. Yep. And I learned Find from a it. way to make it happen. Exactly, and I was better for it and became a better coach. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, after Bomberito performance, uh, I mean, there's just so many lessons that you could learn there. It, it is a great system. It's a good place to learn. We'll talk a little bit later about all the skills that come into play and, you know, the differences between training the general public and training athletes, professional athletes, high school athletes. You leave Bomberito performance, and uh, wh what's your next uh, step? Uh, my next step after Bomberito performance, um, I heard this place called Anatomy at 1220 was opening. So I, I, I kind of looked into it a little bit and saw who was involved in it. 
Um, I saw this guy Mark Megna. Uh, he's he was pretty well known. <laughs> that clown in South in uh, South Beach and South yeah. South Florida. So I, I Googled him and I noticed that oh I'd seen this guy before. He was on the cover of um, Muscle and Fitness a while back. And then I had also realized that while I was deployed, there was a magazine I was looking through that had Mark Megna written articles in it too so it was like okay all right well this guy's been around for a while he must know what he's talking about i've heard nothing but great things from people that knew knew mark magna so i said i'm gonna go in on this and and see what happens well i remember when you came in into the interview we were interviewing uh many trainers hundreds of trainers and trying to sort through the people who we had you know there there are great trainers out there and there were some trainers that maybe weren't up to the standards that we were looking for but there was many and um, we were looking for not only educated uh, and experienced but people who are professional and conduct themselves in a manner where they you know act like pros teach like pros instruct like pros but also we can all play in the same sandbox together and everyone is not uh, you know negative or gossip filled or just likes to be around like-minded individuals and when Grant sat down, I'll tell you that he had those things. When he, After he sat down, I called around. I called several people that I knew that had experiences with him, and they said nothing but the most positive things. So I said, we well, got to hire this guy because um, I know where he just came from, BPS, and I think that he could be really uh, special, and he's been everything uh, that we thought he would be. So thank well, you thank for you coming Mark. over Appreciate here, that. really. Um, so what, now tell us what your experience has been like, not only at Anatomy, but what what's the difference what do, i know the differences in my we could talk for days about this but what, what do you see already in the differences between training training the general public and training pro athletes what are some of the major differences um well the assessment side of things is is kind of similar the, um so you, you do need to break down everyone whether they're the most advanced uh the fastest athlete in the world or the most basic and and inhibited person off the street you need to assess everybody that's the same but once you get past that it's about what's the goal what is your purpose are you trying to be faster and stronger or are you trying to change your body composition and become healthier and I think that that's the the most glaring difference is the purpose behind the training so that will that will determine what direction you go with the training and, uh, yeah. okay understood and, and you know Working with these, let's get into a little bit of the psychology. Working with athletes. Now, I know when I used to train athletes, you can push them to places where you might not want to push most people. Now, that being said, listen, I've trained some moms out there and housewives who have large families, and they are just as tough, every bit as tough as professional athletes. I'll tell you that right now. Um, but in general, Athletes can usually take a little bit more uh, verbal, uh, psych, you know, in, in the psychology, but also with what you're asking them to do. Um, talk to me about the psychology and how you had to transition, make the switch in your mind when you approach these uh, everyday people. Um, as far as the psychology of a professional athlete, competition is a huge aspect of training. So, I mean, if you're in a one-on-one -on -one setting, of course, it's different. But generally, you're in a small group setting. You have a few guys, five, ten guys um, that are all doing pretty much this, the same thing within the session. And they want to compete. And, you know, you compliment one guy in his form and, what, and the way something looks. And everybody else wants to make sure that they're up to standard. So the competition is def definitely 
uh, driving force behind uh, how a professional athlete looks at whether it's a performance in a game practice or within a training session. That's a huge aspect of, of how they perform is based on uh, what they have to go against. Now, the psychology of somebody in the general population may be completely different. They, you know, some people thrive off of competition, and you'll see that in a group fitness um, setting. We had a class today, and you had, we had 19 people out there, and everyone's competing against each other to, to get the reps in and to, to make it look good and to, to have good form and, and all that. But, um, you know, when it's a one-on-one setting with, with in personal training, uh, it's just me and, and the client. And um, a lot of times I, I have a lot of communication within a set, trying not to overload with information, give a couple tips and stick to it and focus on getting those things right. And then uh, and then going from there. So, you know, you have multiple sets then multiple times to practice those things and, and come out better. And you typically from the, the very first rep when they were a little unsure of a movement to the last rep of the last set, it's a big change for somebody that hasn't done something before mm-hmm. and, it, and it's a positive uh, positive thing for them to be able to to improve so quickly um, and and really basically do it on their own with me just giving simple verbal cues do you find that um, you have to pay extra special attention and I like to refer to it as the body psychology uh, the facial expressions I mean, I've tried to pay attention to everything from the way they shrug their shoulders to the looks they give me after I give them information to the way they're slouched to how much time they're taking between sets, regardless of how much instruction I give them. Do you find you have to pay more attention to those things, the little attention to detail with the everyday public, just to make sure that you're giving them things that are manageable and, like, as you said, you're not overloading them? I think so. I think so. Uh, I think generally in a, in a group setting with a bunch of athletes everyone's going to be out of breath and tired and sweaty looking and you know walking sometimes walking back to you know the, the beginning of the drill but when you're we are with the, the average everyday person um there's you're going to be a lot more a, a larger range of of facial feature facial expressions or body language that um, you need to interpret there's um, different things that they could communicate to you that they're not telling you but need to be aware of and definitely consider as far as moving forward with an exercise or progressing it making it more intense Um, if someone's really not having it it usually comes across pretty clearly as far as as, as, yeah like you said like rest breaks rest periods you know taking a lap around the gym (laughs) that's you know i call it strategic stalling right when you you didn't uh, advise them to do that but they go and, and go take a lap and come back and that's generally their way of telling you they need a little bit more time or it's, it's a pretty tough thing that they need to um, really focus on and uh, just give them a second. So mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's a kind of you have to always be paying attention no matter where, what part of the workout you're in, what part of the, the exercise you're in. You need to really be paying attention to everything that client is, is communicating verbally and nonverbally. Can you remember a moment? That, look, we have... Uh we have a great team here. We're very fortunate to have a hardworking team that gets along, understands the standards, and really tries to uh, push the bar. When you got here, you were actually my first hire here, and which was terrific because you set the bar very high, but you also got extremely busy high. All of a sudden, you're doing you know, anywhere from 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 sessions a day, back-to-back every day. Was that hard for you right off the bat? Um, I, I, I built it slowly. 
throughout the the first couple months that we we started out here from December the 20th December 2014 throughout that month January February I think February March is when I started to really kind of peak start to plateau a little bit with clients where I wasn't growing that much more quickly I'd gain one here or there but uh it was it was a slow I didn't really feel it at first I was kind of I was okay because I was coming off of not working as much not having many clients at all the first couple of months to uh, working a lot and it took me a few months to really for that to be consistent for that to to kind of take its toll as far as just the, the demands mentally and physically that it takes to be on your feet for for 12 to 14 hours a day um, and being here the whole day I don't because I don't leave I stay here from whenever I get here in the morning to whenever I leave at night. I don't go home. I don't go. I mean, I'll walk to a you know fresh market to get some food or something. But other than that, I'm here. So and to work out in between as well. So it, the the cumulative effect of all of all that took its toll on me over a couple months. But I learned how to manage it and to alter things that I did throughout my day and my sleep patterns and and things like that. And I'm still learning and I'm still trying to manage that. And I, th- I think I'm doing an okay job of it. Yeah, I think you're doing a great job, really. Um, do you remember any moments, you know, with clients and, you know, the days are so long and you're trying to do the best you can in everything and you're just rolling them out and you're, you're trying to deliver great instruction and, and give them great results. Do you remember any moments, man, I wish I would have had that one back with any clients when you started? Specifically, uh, Specifically where you, you maybe... Because you were working in an athlete environment, you know, athletes can handle more physically, but they can also handle more uh, verbally. But there's sometimes there's moments where we let the cat out of the bag or we make a comment when we're like, I don't know if they're going to take that the way I meant it, meaning I probably shouldn't have said that. Were there any moments with clients working in the personal sector where you were like, I wish I had that moment back that you learned from? I mean, definitely. There's definitely uh, a moment that stands out. Um, I had a client that she was she's a pretty high-profile person. She uh, she was consistent as far as coming in three times a week, two three times a week. Um, she would she would train hard. She would do what I told her to do. She had some physical limitations, uh, but she would push hard and. Uh, over the a course of maybe two or three months, we developed a pretty good, good rapport of what I thought and had a good banter back and forth. And I think there was a time where she um, she came in very, very late to one of her sessions. It was, I think, a four o'clock session. She came in about 4.55. And <clears throat> so I gave her a few things to... Um, to do in those five minutes and then gave her some tips on what she could do in the next however long she wanted to work out for because I had a five o'clock session and then I think she she mentioned something about her her dog passing away her dog being sick and I think I'm I my ears were closed or I was just not paying attention or something and I just I, I said something I don't remember my exact words but I didn't acknowledge with the right um the right care what she had said and and I didn't really say anything bad but it was the fact that I didn't really acknowledge the importance of what she had just told me and that was not immediately apparent to me because she didn't really say anything but um, well, I heard back because that was not well received by her in the next coming days I, I heard that that was not something she was happy with 
and she discontinued training after that. So I, I mean, I was I was shocked by that because me, I I love I love animals. I love dogs, despite what Tiffany may tell you or anybody <laughs> close. We gotta convince you. <laughs> I love dogs. I don't have one, and I don't want one because of my just current living situation right now. But I love animals, and and to to think that someone thought that I didn't care about that situation made me feel awful and I, I i needed to to take a step back and think like i need to catch myself and make sure that i'm really tuned in to every little thing that a person tells me um and and make sure that my body language and my my verbal my responses are appropriate and in that case it wasn't so that was definitely a learning experience for me and uh going forward i think uh, i think i've been much much better and I'm more attentive. Mm-hmm. Definitely a great learning lesson for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just just to pay attention, pay attention to their energy, pay attention to things you're saying because the things that may not be important to us may be extremely important to them, and that doesn't mean they have to be incredibly important to us. But it is important that we place value or find value in the things that they're saying because they're saying them because they do matter to our clients, and we are servicing them at the end of the day. We work in the service industry. So, how would you describe your training style? My training style is dependent on the client, but in as a whole, in general, um, I I am a fan of pushing your limits and resting. You we want to push for a designated amount of reps, time, whatever it is, whatever the metric is, and then we rest. Mm-hmm. So what what's important about that? That a lot of people do that. They push as hard as they can. They go to failure. They rest, but it's not really it's it's not taken into account and it's not measured properly where you're putting it all together throughout the entire workout we don't just want to blast ourselves in one set of whatever exercise and then that was really hard so i'm just going to rest for five minutes and then go back to it when i feel like it once you put it together in a systematic way throughout the whole session that concept can be so powerful that i don't think enough people realize that if it's just about maintaining the correct intervals and and paying paying attention to what you're doing and keeping it short and sweet. We don't need to be in the gym for two and a half hours. Mm-hmm. It's not necessary. If you're pushing yourself to the limit um, up to a point safely, um, we need to be there for an hour, hour fifteen maybe, just to to get everything out of that session mm-hmm. and um, or less even sometimes if you're pushing a certain way with you know a, a little bit higher uh, percentages. So uh, I'm, I'm being coming from that sports performance background. Um, I, I like the push pull for upper body. I like the squat and deadlift for lower body. And but we modify things. So if I had an athlete walk through, I'd train them one way. If I had a 65 year old woman who just wants to be able to sit up and move better, that I train her another way. We may have some overlapping uh, exercises that they have share in common, but there would for sure be modifications to them. Yeah, I think uh, you'll we'll find in this field, fitness wellness. There are a lot of things that are we know are extremely beneficial. But at the end of the day, it's dependent on each client and how you modify things and try to give them the best bang for their buck and improve their quality of life and get them closer to their goals. Um, so I I know that when when I first met you, you wanted to introduce uh, some new accessories slash tools. And you were very adamant about flying across the country to go to a school uh, made by a brand called 
on it in the specifically the on it academy in steel maces and clubs and you thought it was terrific and i knew nothing about it so i do credit grant for being the first person in at least south florida to kind of bring this into play and draw attention to it in our area so thank you for that because i do think they're terrific tell us a little bit about that experience no i mean i love talking about this stuff um this was new to me as of about a little over a year ago um it was just i came upon it through social media just like we do a lot of this stuff and i uh i saw some stuff on their page on the Honor academy uh, instagram page and i said this looks really interesting um, there's a lot of things out there that are very intense and cool looking, but th they don't really have a system behind it. There's not enough to keep you there and to, to push you for longer than maybe a few sessions before getting bored. So I followed closely with the guys over at on Academy and they, uh, they definitely have a very well thought out system with whether it's body weight. I mean, we can do a whole three, four hour session just based on body weight alone. And then uh, they have the different tools, like you mentioned, the steel mace, the steel club, and then some more familiar things like you, you've probably come across kettlebells, I'm sure. Um, and then uh, some other things as well, battle ropes, suspension trainers, sandbags. All those things are part of that Onnit system that they introduce throughout the foundation's certification, which they have at Austin, Texas. And they also have some around the country as well. But um, I went over there to Austin. This was March of 2015, last year here. And I took their level one cert, that foundation certification, and I fell in love with it because it was, it was so comprehensive and well thought out. And the, the mechanics of all the movements were very, um, they were very sound. There wasn't anything that was just, you're just doing things to, because it either looked cool or it was, it was just time effective. Everything had a, a very well thought out purpose and it was interconnected with other things. So we had a whole day long session that, that first day of the level one and it was nothing but body weight. And then the second day we started introducing all the implements that we had, those things that I mentioned and it was the same thing. It was the same movements, the push, the pull, the hinge, and the squat, just introduced with different tools in your hand or in a different, in a certain position. And that I could really connect with and see that this, this could be powerful and this could be something that can spread very quickly and people will take to it, especially when you have something involved like the steel mace. Mm -hmm. You know, you got a 30 inch long uh, bar with all the weight on one side and you can manipulate, say you'll have a 10 pound mace, you have all the weight on one side, you can manipulate your grip close to the weight or for farther away from the weight to make it easier or more difficult. And that's not something you can really do with a lot of things. And that's great to have uh, in a group setting where some, you don't know where somebody's progress is gonna be, where they're, um, where they're gonna be at as far as strength goes. So you can, we have a bunch of 10 pound maces here and we can bring them outside and I could modify on the spot with that 10 pound mace, mace that somebody, with somebody that's more advanced or with somebody that's um, the more of a novice at it or they pick it up for the first time. So it's very user friendly as long as you have somebody there that has some good experience with it. And hopefully uh, over the course of the next few months and over, over the last year, uh, one of our other trainers, Ethan, has also taken to it. And I hear that we're gonna have some other trainers that are gonna do, do so as well. So it's really, uh, I'm looking forward to the future and what it could hold for us. 
you feel like the general public has really taken toward these tools and accessories and they really appreciate them as much as you do because I see the great value in it, but it's different from, uh, we see like the mechanics mm -hmm. and the, the big great benefits, but do you think they understand it? Well, not even understand it, but value it as much as we do. Have they taken to it? They've definitely taken to it. Um, I don't think they evaluate it the way we do for sure, but as long as the instructor takes care to make the the session whether it's a one-on-one -on -one or a group comprehensive and and structures it properly with warm-ups and the the actual workout and then a proper cool down or decompression at the end um i think that that will that will set in with clients over the course of time and it has so far people love it um, it's a lot of fun to use and it's it's there's things that you can do with it that you with the mace for example that you can't really do with anything else so it just has that draw that appeal where you, I mean, you see it on Instagram and it looks amazing. It looks a lot of fun. And it's like, I want to do that. But at the same time, it's also very functional. It has, a, it serves a very specific purpose throughout for stability and strength and, and overall you know, fitness goals. It can accomplish um, a lot of goals under the sun, you know, anything from fat burning to, you know, just creating stability to, to rehabbing injuries. There's a lot of things you can do with all those tools and I hope to be able to implement that along with along with my other trainers and coaches here mm -hmm. um, in the future. And you've created the uh, basically the Anatomy Academy system where you're going to be taking on people who are going to be introduced to these tools. Tell us a little bit about that, what you've created. Yeah, um, and later this month we're going to release, um, it's going to be a, a six-week class uh, available to non-members of anatomy where they can come in three days each week and they can learn in a systematic linear way from the start to the finish the basics of each tool and we can progress together as a group from day one to day 18 in that last week um, it's it's going to be something special i think because instead of just having everyone show up in one group as uh, everyone show up in one session not knowing where people are most people will be at a, at a basic level starting out and the training will start at a basic level but not to say that it will be easy it will start so that everyone can grasp the tool can handle it properly and then from there we can progress and start doing some pretty amazing things with it by the time we hit week six right so i'm really looking forward to introducing that uh this, the, that's the mace the club and the kettlebell will be e those three classes each week for six weeks from starting from april 27th yeah it'll be a great class mm -hmm. i'm sure i know it'll be packed a lot of great things to learn w what can you say about yourself grant if you had to give some advice to young trainers starting out in this field what type of advice would you give them? You just want to give them one piece of information that you think would benefit them greatly. What would you suggest? Um, I, it's easy. Um, I think I don't know if I'm stealing this from you or not, but um, work for free. Uh, you need to start out. You need to shoot for the stars. That's what I thought to myself when I was picking my internship. I need to shoot for this the, a place that I feel like I maybe not won't get into because it's it's either too difficult or wh whatever the reason may be shoot for the stars the the place you want to land at work for free if possible I know it's difficult when managing expenses and certain things like that but tr we need to make it possible to get the education to get the experience because it will be invaluable not only the experience but the networking and the connections and relationships that you develop Mm -hmm. I know mm -hmm. you talked about yeah. relationships with, with Dave. It's yeah. all about the relationships, and it really is. Um, so that's that's something that I would I would encourage my child 
when I have a, a kid that I would definitely encourage them to work for free and volunteer your time because it pays off. People respect that. People see that you're putting in time and you're not getting you're not getting a whole lot back as far as compensation, of course, but that that just shows that your level your your level of respect and what you value um, by doing that uh, for a certain amount of time, a few months or whatever it may be. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. Um, it, even if, whether it's one place, it can be one place for a certain amount of time, or can you can move around a little bit. I mean, I would I would suggest sticking with the same place for a while just so you can really develop some good relationships and they know that you're a person they can count on. Right. And then from there, you can you can grow pretty quickly if you um, if you stick to it and spend some time. Yeah, it's so it's great advice. Thank you. It's great advice. It's just so hard for younger people nowadays to understand the extreme value in just sucking it up and looking at it as a learning experience, not a uh, financial mm-hmm. experience. They just you know. I understand as much as anyone. We all want to make it big and make tons of money. I understand that, but. It's kind of like building a base of conditioning for training. It's like the pyramid example, right? If you build a very wide base, you can build a, a tall, tall pyramid. But if you have a very small base, that pyramid can only go so high. So you really have to understand what your intention is. Are you trying to learn or are you trying to make money? Because short term, we can really find a way to make money. But mm-hmm. we want this to be a long-term, lifelong thing. We want to have longevity in the field. And that's what it is, right? Right. It's about uh, taking your time with it. Um, where do you see yourself in this industry? Where do you see yourself in you know three to five years? What would you like to do? What are some of the goals that you have your eyes set on? Three. To, I mean, one of them really hasn't changed that much from when you asked me that question a year and three mm-hmm. or four months ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I would still like to. I, I love the the brand anatomy and what it stands for and what we stand for here. And I would love to be in a position where I have trainers that I work with um, in a gym setting and wherever that location may be and I would love to to develop that and cultivate a great environment like we have here Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. so that would be more you know short medium-term goal long-term it's it's so hard to project like it's if you had asked me that three years ago five years ago I would have have a completely different answer but um, I, I kind of want to just focus on, on doing what I'm doing right now and right. doing it right and doing it well. Right. That's understood. That's understood. If you could change one thing about this field, uh, fitness and wellness, PT, personal training, just the way things are viewed or, or, or whatever it is, what would, you ch- what would you like to change? What would you like to um, uh, alter? You, yeah. can, you can always point to the negatives in any f- industry, any field. About you can look at fitness and you can look at Instagram and you can see all these insta famous people that don't have uh there may not be as much substance behind one person as there is in another person, but that person with a PhD has got one tenth of the amount of followers that follow them for whatever reason it may be. Um, maybe they're not entertaining, the other person is, but um, I, th- I think I would just I would love to steer people more towards the the health and wellness side of things as much as I had done bodybuilding and uh, strongman competitions in my past and I don't regret doing any of that because it was so much fun um, what's going to keep us doing this is by being healthy and moving the proper way and making sure our joints are have integrity from when we're 20 to when we're 80 
Because if that's not if you, that's not cared for, then you're going to be that person that's bitter in their 50s and 60s that says, I used to work out and I don't donate anymore because I hurt my knees and my shoulders and all this. And then they're just not going to work out and they're going to train. They're not going to train and they're going to deteriorate. And you, you see, everyone sees it. You right. see it. Oh, yeah. I see it all the time. Right. And uh, family members and friends, family members that are just sedent, they can't move because they have some sort of joint issue that and there's doctor told them to rest and they rested for years and years and decades and decades mm -hmm. and now they can't move and, and right. their life the quality of life is terrible yeah i think it's 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 our responsibility I mean, you have to take accountability there's it, it, one that every anyone can take another person and smash them down and make them vomit and put them through a hellish torturous workout but it takes a good bit of knowledge and responsibility like it, it is your responsibility to make sure that you're helping this person and trying to improve their quality of life as opposed to shortening it shortening their days and their ability mm -hmm. it really does um, w w let me ask you grant is there anyone that you look up to in this field that you're like wow I really like or a few people uh, mentors I mean, you could speak to mentors in your life, and then you could speak to mentors in fitness. People that you really appreciate. Hey, I want to take a little bit of what they do, whatever, whoever they may be. Mentors in the industry, um, or in your li in life, the biggest ones in your life. I mean, I I don't have a, a lot of people that I follow that closely where um, I would, could put them on that level. Um, I mean. There's certain people within the industry that I like to pay attention to a little bit more closely. Um, Lane Norton is one of those people. PhD, nutri nutritional sciences. He's ter he's terrific, really. He's yeah, he's smart guy. He, wow. he knows his stuff with, and he relates the the uh, activity part of things with the, the nutrition. And because obviously we all know that it's very important. People say diet and exercise all day long. But they are they sync up so um, they're so important so interrelated to each other that uh, and he really gets digs down deep. He can get pretty sciency at some points. But um, if you you pay attention and you you listen to a few of the things that he says and his YouTube videos and his podcasts and that sort of thing, um, you can definitely learn a lot. Uh, without having a degree or, or going to pay for school there's so much information out that's one another thing I love about the industry is there's just so much information that's not within a textbook um, that would that you'd find at a, at a university there's so much information out there just within social media and just on the internet and through certain um, subject matter experts within the industry whether it's so talking about glute training with Brett Contreras right. or or something more specific and within nutrition and and you know uh, Kelly Starrett and joint mobility, right. that type of thing. Um, if you can you just pay attention to one of those things for a little while and pick up some things here and there, it can make such a world of difference without, throughout your training. Because, mm -hmm. I mean, that alone, you can, people do it. They be, become personal trainers and, and uh, fitness experts based on that type of stuff, not just from those people specifically, but throughout the wealth of knowledge that's available on the internet. So, it's hard for me to point to anybody that I really look up to um, a lot, uh, specifically one person, but it's, it, the field is so rich with information and with education, and these people have cr real credentials, 
but you got to find those people and it's it can be hard sometimes because there's people that disguise themselves oh yeah as um as the guru, the guru of this or the guru of that and we have to be careful not to always just take the information that we get um uh, for, for gospel yeah face really, va- face values yeah. it's always important i always say to qualify the source make sure you qualify that person as someone who actually mm-hmm. may know it but i mean i i, I want to follow someone who knows it is educated in it has proven it and lives it that's really important to me right. um you, you know you you what what you train hard we i see you i, I and i know that but people listening who don't know grant He's a very, very lean guy. Most people have like a two-pack or four-pack. He's got like a 12-pack, and he's like shredded. I know he's a humble guy. doesn't like to hear that, but that's absolutely true. But what upsets me is that we have this back-and-forth battle that at night he eats like a half a gallon of ice cream and comes in looking more ripped the next day. Now, I understand the science behind it, but it's still frustrating. Tell us a little bit about your diet. Okay. Um, well... From way back in my bodybuilding days, I mean, I know I was never a professional bodybuilder, nor do I intend to be, but I did and messed around and dabbled in it a little bit. Did four shows from 2011 to 12, and I I learned about how my body reacts to certain types of foods. So I, in the very very beginning, was the calorie counter and the macro counter, but after a couple months, I just realized I don't need to count individual calories. I can look at an egg or look at a chicken breast or whatever I was looking at, whatever food I was dealing with and know how it would affect me, the quantity and then whatever type of food it was. Um, so as long as I was aware of what I was putting in my body, um, I could, I could pretty accurately assess how that was going to affect me, whether it was going to build me up or whether I was going to be start to be become depleted from it because it's, it wasn't enough for me. So over the course of the last couple of years, I I only make very small changes in my diet. I don't like to make drastic changes where whether it's the meal timing or the the amount of food I'm eating, tiny little changes. Add in a yogurt here, throw in a little bit of flaxseed or chia chia seeds or a hemp protein powder to it. Add to that. And that, okay, that all of a sudden that became my everyday thing in the morning. That's mm-hmm. literally the first thing I grab is organic yogurt, Greek yogurt. I mix up all those things I mentioned inside of it and walk and I, I drive to work and I eat that on the way. And I'm eating yogurt from now on. <laughs> I'm going to look like that's you. just, that's just one thing. And then I would, ha- I have to have eggs. If I don't have eggs on a regular basis, quality eggs, I'm talking, I'm talking hard boiled eggs, scrambled eggs, organic, no, just, I mean, I cook them in a skillet. Right. I flip them once. So I got, like, what do you call that? Over easy. Something right. Like that. Yeah. Um, put them in a Tupperware, bring them to work, eat them later that day. Uh, a good quality egg, throwing a little greens on top because I don't, God knows I don't get my greens otherwise. So I add that to my eggs and that has to be a morning ritual at some point. In the mm-hmm. So as long as the, the amount of meals, I have about four full, big meals throughout the day, actual meals. And then I'll have my pre and post workout snack or thing a little thing here or there but um and then that last meal if you want to call it that uh, right after i get home from work at night usually about seven thirty, eight o'clock i'll have a big protein something whatever it is bison burger whatever it is um hopefully some vegetable not always but um i'll have my uh, chlorella and spirulina with it if i don't get any vegetables okay and then uh i'll have that I don't know how what quantity of ice cream it is, but probably three to five scoops of organic vanilla, chocolate, or salted caramel ice cream. You know, it's a, it's a crime that you can eat that way and look <laughs> the way you do. 
with cacao powder and almond butter. Well, as long as you mixed. got cacao powder on it, it, and you, almond yeah, butter. It, yeah, it justifies it. Yeah. So it's it's okay. <laughs> it's, I get my superfoods also. So it's it, and that was the thing that I I started adding when I my days started getting really long, and I realized that. I'm probably in a calorie deficit throughout my day. Right. From the moment I walked to, into anatomy to the moment I step out, I probably burn more calories than I took in. So for me in my specific circumstance, I, I just, as I justified, I never have measured my calorie output or uh, my intake really since I've started here. I haven't like even tried to count calories once, but I've seen the effects of the food that I've taken in my body. And when I didn't have that ice cream before, I felt so tired and so depleted. I was leaner probably. I, I'm actually, or I was maybe a little bit lighter when I started. Right. Um, but I feel like I'm just as lean, even though that I've added a lot of calories in the evening. Um, I don't drink. So that I think that plays a big factor. I don't have any alcohol in my system really rarely, maybe once every other month. Right. Um, but... You know, I don't. I don't have a meal that doesn't include a large quantity of protein in it. I never have a meal that's just a bunch of carbs or whatever, right. even if it's health, perceived healthy. Okay. All right. This is the final part of the Magnum Method interview. This is a speed round, Grant. I'm just going to ask you a couple, uh, more than a couple, a uh, series of questions. You're going to give me a quick answer. Okay. Shoot. Favorite food. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> tell us. I know what it is. Tell us. Favorite. Ice cream. Okay. Favorite ritual? Eating ice cream. No, favorite <laughs> ritual. Favorite ritual. I, I love my warm-up. My warm-up that I do before. Uh, we, we do it in my, my group fitness classes. We do it in my one-on-one training before a leg day. I love my warm-up. It's um, something that I've... Uh, I've it's inspired by Bomberito Performance Systems. Of course. And the speed training uh, that we do there was the, the kind of the pre-speed warm-up. Right. Right. I modified it a little bit here and there just to to suit the time constraints and and things like that and the rep range I've changed a little bit but uh, I love doing that that's my, right. my famous my favorite ritual cool ritual. cool favorite sports team Chicago Cubs favorite athlete Ooh, well it's coming from Chicago it's either Walter Payton or Michael Jordan dude that's good company right uh, there so Fav- favorite movie there. favorite movie of all time all time Mighty Ducks too. Nice. Favorite book? Favorite book? The Hatchet. The Hatchet. Uh-huh. I'm going to look it up. I read it in sixth grade. Nice. Favorite TV show? Hmm, TV show. Got to be Seinfeld. It's my go-to. Great show. Same. Favorite type of music? I like a beat, but I've gotten away from hip-hop a little bit lately, so I don't know. I like... That Miami's had its influence on me with that EDM stuff, but not not too housey. So I don't know something good with a beat. Uh, whatever you hear playing in my group fitness classes, that's pretty much what I like. Okay, favorite restaurant? Uh, favorite restaurant? Ugh. Going to Komodo tonight. Dave Grutman's Komodo. I, I, uh, I gotta say, I'm, gotta I'm going to Komodo tonight myself. Nice, nice. See you there. <laughs> <laughs> Kudos, Dave. Favorite quote of all time. Practice makes permanent. My 95-pound uh, football coach back in the day, and I, he wasn't 95 pounds. This was the, the weight class. This mm-hmm. was like sixth grade, I think it was. Okay. Um, that's what he would say. And he was the most like hard-nosed, 
no BS guy and wouldn't crack a smile. And this is a bunch of 12 year olds <laughs> and he was practice makes permanent practice does not make perfect. If you practice imperfectly, then you will, you will perform that way. So practice makes permanent. That's my favorite. Sweet. Nike or Adidas? Nike for sure. Nike for sure. Huh? Easy. N- no questions asked. No questions asked. Okay. RSP or on it? I'm just kidding. I'm just oh, kidding. Wow. <laughs> I can't believe you'd do that. Man. I'm just kidding. You don't have to answer that. Grant, thank you very much thank for being so much, on the Mark. show. I really appreciate your time, my friend.